This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. All right, would you have a seat? And again, welcome to Nags Head Church. To you who are our guests, we're especially glad to see you make it our way today. And join us in worshiping the Lord, and hopefully after we're done, join us in our celebration of baptism, and we're all going to kind of move the gathering from here over to the beach, and we have a number of folks following Christ today in in baptism. We're excited about that. Uh, I have a card that I keep in my wallet that says that I am trained in CPR. Um, In fact, if you you can't see it, probably from where you are, but I looked at it the other day and I said Expired in January 2008. So, um, if anybody has any needs today, don't call me, all right? Um, (laughs) But you know what CPR is? Uh, In in CPR training, we're taught to look for signs of life right away. And and the simplest way to do that is to to check somebody who is unconscious and, and check for a pulse to see if their heart is beating and and to check to see if they're breathing, if their lungs are working, because you know, if either or both of those are not functioning, if they're not breathing, if their heart's not beating, chances are they're already gone or they're really close to being there. Life is uh, exiting. And so we do CPR. Now, one of the things that we all have common among us, and I don't know a lot of you here this morning, I don't know who you are, don't know your names, don't know where you came from, but I can say categorically that one thing is true about every person in this room this morning, at least I hope it is, and that is we all have life of one form or another, some kind of life. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the person that's seated beside you, and I just want you to just to poke them and make sure they're not cold and that they're not lifeless right now. So just go ahead and do that and check it out and uh, make sure they're, you know, make sure you poke them and they, get, they, they move or something. And, and uh, if they don't, we do have some CPR-trained people in the room, so uh, we'll take care of them. Um, if you could sum up the Christian faith in just one word, if you could just take one word all of the Christian faith and just boil it down to one word. If I ask you to do that, we we might come up with lots of one-word summations of Christianity. One of them, I think, would have to be this word, life. Uh, Jesus spoke about us having eternal life. God loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life, he said. And we often, I think, incorrectly equate that to mean only life after death. But he also, Jesus, also spoke about having abundant life, meaning how life is lived right now. And it's such a great word to describe the Christian faith. Here at Nagshead Church, uh, those of you who are guests, uh, our, our, uh, our little purpose statement that we have as a church that all of our partners know and can recite back to you, but it says that we exist as a church to reach people to discover life in Christ. That's why we're here. It's about life. Uh, what's really great is last Sunday morning, uh, in, in, in between our two gatherings that we had last Sunday morning, nine people uh, in those worship gatherings became alive in Jesus Christ 
for the very first time in their lives by believing in him as their savior. And then today, after we finish here, we're going to move over to the beach and we've got a good group um, of believers who are going to celebrate that new life by following Christ in baptism. The good news, which we talked about last Sunday as we were in Romans 1 through 4, the good news where the gospel tells us that Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus was buried and Jesus rose again from the dead. And that's the message, if you will. That's the the story of Christ and it's he who gives us life. So we discover life by hearing the gospel. So the big question for us today is this. If I have trusted Jesus as my Savior, some of you did maybe years ago, some of you maybe did this year, some of you last Sunday. If I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and he's given me life, what does that life provide me now? What's in it for me right now? What does God give me? What are the benefits, if you will, the benefit package of having this life in Christ? Unfortunately, I think a lot of our preaching uh, in the church today tells people that you need to trust in Jesus so that you can have eternal life, but they never get out the message. And that's very true, but they never get the message out that life in Jesus, this eternal life doesn't begin when you stop breathing and your heart stops beating and your brain stops making waves. Eternal life in Jesus begins the moment that you accept him as your savior. You are alive in him and have this eternal life right this very moment. It's much, much more than just simply having fire insurance. Now, here we are in Romans chapter 5, and for our guests, we're in a series doing Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. We began last Sunday by kind of giving some introduction from Romans 1 through 4. And here today, after explaining what we saw last week, remember last week was the good news, the bad news, and then the good news. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bad news, why we need it, because we're all sinners and hopelessly lost. The good news, reminding us again, but by faith in Jesus Christ, God gives us everlasting life. Paul follows that up today by beginning to answer this question. Okay, well, what does this life provide me now? Does it really work? And then Paul, as we progress through this passage of Scripture, through this section, Paul's going to go into laying out this great package deal that God gives us by grace and that he wants us to discover that part. God wants us to know that part of this life as well. He starts with verse 1, where we're going to begin today with the word, therefore, because of your faith in Christ, because all these things I just talked about in chapters 1 through 4, here's what our lives ought to look like today. Here are the incredible benefits that come with a relationship when you, have, when you have Christ as your Savior, this relationship with God. He'll also tell us how to deal with the struggles that come with faith in Christ as well. Wait, time out. Struggles. Uh, you mean that when I'm a Christian, I'm going to have struggles in my life as well? And yeah, there are struggles. And so Paul writes about this life, and he also writes about the death that is necessary for us to go through to make the life so wonderful. And then when we get to chapter 7, he becomes very transparent. He just kind of exposes himself. And he says, I struggle too, the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you about my struggles that I have. And he shares with us how he dealt with this battle within his own soul. But before he goes there, he's going to tell us here today, here's what you get. Let me give you all this great package that God gives to you first. So look with me 
at chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes and he says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Now you remember that the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior, I said last Sunday, your status, where you stand, your position with God, immediately changed the moment you trusted Jesus from wrong to right. He moved you positionally. He took you from where you were, and he says, now you're here. You were on the wrong side of me. Now you're on the right side of God. But there's more than a right status. Here's what the rest of the verse says. I want you to read this and read it aloud with me. Now let me give you a clue. The last gathering, I asked them to read it aloud, and they read it aloud in a whisper. And I said, are you there? And so I then encouraged them to use their outside voice, okay? (laughs) I have little grandchildren, so I know what that means. So we're going to read the scripture, and I want you to use your outside voice. The rest of chapter 5, verse 1, read it with me. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Wow, kid, your outside voice is really booming today, all right? Um, We have peace with God. That's the first point this morning. What's this benefit package? What has God provided? Number one, peace with God. Last week, we talked about that status, moving from wrong to right. When God moves us, we're going to find out he also moves us in that same move. We move not from just being wrong to right. We move from being God's foe to God's friend. And remember that we said last Sunday, all of us are naturally and hopelessly lost because of our sin. And our sin is simply that rebellion against God. And I'm told that here in this, this phrase, I have peace with God, in the Greek language, it could, it could be read to understand, to, to be read to understand, to mean, let us keep on having peace. Now, what I think Paul means by that is, we can remember, all of us can remember that moment when we trust that Christ as our Savior and we realize God has forgiven me my sin and he's given me new life. And, and the, maybe you had this overwhelming peace that flooded over you at that moment and you, you'll never forget that. But then maybe a, a few days later or weeks later, you had some trials and some struggles that came in your life and caused you to forget about God a little bit, caused you to doubt and you wondered where your faith went and it seemed like the peace disappeared. And what Paul is saying to us here is we can keep on having peace with God. It doesn't stop. It's an everlasting eternal thing. Let us keep on having peace, not just a one-time peaceful, easy feeling, but it's meant by God to carry us on through life. And because it's peace through Christ, get this, it's peace through Christ. It isn't something that we have to try to work for. It isn't something that we have to fight to obtain. It's a gift from God, just like salvation is. This peace comes with it. It's God's gift to us. It is ours. We have this peace with God. Now, if you, defa- if you fast forward in your Bible to chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, Paul explains why we have this peace and what that peace brings us just in case we didn't get it in the first four chapters. If you'll look with me at verses 8 through 10, Romans chapter 5. He said, but God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's judgment. For since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. So Paul explains, here's what it's about. What is this peace with God? What does it bring to us? What, what, what's involved with it? 
Well, first of all, he tells us this peace with God is because of his love for us. Because of his love for us. Please get this. You didn't love God, and God's up in heaven, and he looks down, and, and he sees you loving him, and he says to the angels, well, check this out. Rick Lawrenson, that sorry rascal, he's starting to love me. I think I'll love him back. That's not how it works. You didn't love God, and because you love God, that evoked some kind of response from him. The Bible says he loved us first. John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, if we could say, well, I just started loving God, and then God loved me, and now we have this relationship, then that relationship would have been based upon who? You, me, and it's not. It's all about him and what he's done. What's so special about that? Well, I don't think it's just that it's special. I really think this is an amazing thing, and let me try to illustrate to you why. Paul says God loved us in spite of ourselves. He loved us not because of who we were, but in spite of who we were. Let me ask you a question. Humanly speaking, is that how you and I love people? Do we love people in spite of who they are, you know? No, really, we don't. We love people because of what they bring into our lives. We love our children, and we love our spouses, and we love our friends, and we love them because of what they add to our lives. Kind of think about it this way, God loving us. Who would go... We, I preached a few weeks ago. We did a series on family, and I talked to singles, and I, and, and I talked about you know how some of us are called to be single, but some of us are not. And maybe you say, well, I'm not called to be single. I don't think that's me. And, and so I'm, but I'm single, and, and I would like for God to provide me for a mate. Well, who would go? And you say, well, so you call me up and say, Rick, I'm, I'm really in search for, for God's choice for my life. And so I'm going to do something. I'm going to be proactive about finding a mate. And so I'm going to do something about it starting today. And I said, great. What are you going to do? I'm going to the state prison in Raleigh. And I'm going to search for a mate there. Do you think I would say, Boy, that's about the best idea I ever heard. There's plenty of singles there. Nowadays, we have these internet services, you know, like eHarmony.com that match us up with the perfect person. Can you picture a matchmaking service called eConvict.com? You know, the number one trusted dating site for the untrustworthy. It offers you a soon-to-be-released prisoner as your next date. For $29.95, we'll hook you up with the convict who is most compatible with you. We laugh at that and say, that is so ridiculous. Nobody would do that. Please hear me. That's exactly what God did when he reached down and he loved us. That's exactly where God went to find us. He didn't look for the lovely of the world. He found us. He didn't say, I'm going to love you, but first you've got to be rehabilitated. It says, Paul says, he loved us while we were still sinners. And he showed us that he did by sending his son to die for us while we were still in that condition. The perfect God who did not need anyone to love. Wasn't like he, oh man, I need somebody to love. I'll find you. 
He didn't need anybody to love. He didn't need anybody to love him back. But just because he is so amazing, he chose to love sinners and rebels like us. And I find that absolutely amazing, incredible to think. Then Paul says, not only did God love us in spite of ourselves, Paul says, please understand, because you have received Christ as your Savior, you've been moved from wrong to right status. You've been moved from friend from foe to friend. You will never be judged by God for your sin. Judgment here, that Paul speaks of, refers to that future event when Every person in this who's ever been born in this world who never turned to Christ will stand before God as their judge and their sin will be judged and the book of Revelation says they will be sent to an eternity in a place called the lake of fire. You can read about that in the book of Revelation, but please understand those whose sins have been forgiven by God are not going to face that judgment. Why? Because you have peace with God through Christ. Here's how that came about, Paul says. On the cross, Jesus took God's judgment for your sin. Jesus paid the price so you could be forgiven, so you could be pronounced not guilty, so your sins have been judged in Jesus and they've been forgiven. And the great thing about Christ and this judgment aspect for the crimes of our sin is that there is no such thing with God is double jeopardy. You'll never again be tried for what you've been forgiven for. It's a done deal. There's a great passage that quotes Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 24. I'd encourage you to memorize that. It's one of the first verses as a young Christian, as a, as a boy, in fact, that I remember memorizing. John 5, 24. Some great words in here I want to point out too. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears what I say and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. That person will not be judged guilty, but has already left death and entered life. There's some important things in there that I want you to note. Maybe you can circle those words in your notes or in your Bible. Go back and take a look at them. But he says this. First of all, whoever hears what I say, believes in me, has eternal life. Has eternal life. That's in the present tense. That means when. Right now, the moment you believe, you have eternal life. And the word eternal means never-ending. So it doesn't stop. And then he goes on, he says, that person will not be judged guilty. There's a promise from him. You're not going to face that judgment for your sin and be pronounced guilty because the judgment's already been made on Christ. He says, you've already left death. That's behind you. You've already entered into eternal life. When did that happen? Again, you go back to the very beginning of what Jesus said. It's when you believed in the one who sent me. You received Christ as your Savior. Well, then somebody's going to ask the question, well, does that mean then that I can now live however I want to, no holds barred, do whatever I feel like doing, doesn't make any difference because I'm guaranteed eternal life? And my response to that is, That's the wrong question to ask. You're looking, you're missing the point if you ask that question. Because when you think of what God has done for you and what he's given to you, why would you want to take all that and throw it back in his face by acting again like you're his enemy? When you love someone, some of you in this room are in love. 
When, you're, when you love someone, you live to please that person. And when you wrong that person that you love, you're very quick, you should be anyway, to go to that person and make it right by apologizing and, and changing your attitude and changing your actions that caused the hurt to begin with. So I have peace with God forever. Secondly, I have a new standing with God. Verse 2, Paul says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. A new standing. I was God's enemy. Now, I'm not. Now, let me stop and say, there's probably not a person in this room that really ever stopped and considered yourself even before you became a Christian, as God's enemy. You know, we think of enemy, we think somebody's out to destroy somebody else. I never thought of myself as God's enemy, yet God's word says that's exactly what I was. We tell ourselves, well, you know, I was never that bad God's enemy. That's reserved for the Hitlers, you know, for the worst criminals in the world, the worst of the worst. That's what we tell ourselves. But we need to remember this that we were all in the same boat. We said that last Sunday. In the same boat is the worst of the worst. And that boat was sinking. We were all there. He says we were all enemies with God because of our sin. We're all sinners, all lawbreakers, all rebels. But then, remember the good news, because of somebody telling us about the good news about Jesus, that status can be changed by God by moving us from wrong to right when we believe in Jesus Christ. From wrong to right, from guilty to guiltless, from enemy to friend, from stranger to his child, from an outsider to an insider, a member of his family. The standing with God means that you and I have access to him 24-7. That means whenever you need to talk to God, Christian, he's there to listen. You don't go to talk to God and get put on hold. You don't go to talk to God and here's, for English, press one. For Spanish, press two, you know. When you talk to God, you just talk to God. He hears you speak in your voice, in your language. You talk to God 24, you don't get put on, on, you don't get somebody's voicemail. You don't need to find a priest to talk to God for you because the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 9, or chapter 10, verse 19, says if you are in Christ, get this, We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. You personally have this relationship with him, this new standing with him. Paul says it's a place where we can be confident. It's a place, he says, we can look forward to because we're looking forward to what we're going to share in eternity with God and his glory forever. And as that thought alone causes us reason to rejoice. We're going to sing a song at the end of uh, the message today that's going to speak about that time when Christ returns. And every time we sing that verse about the return of Christ, it causes me to rejoice because I'm thinking of what's coming and being with him like that forever. But now, no matter how tough life gets, as someone who stands in Christ, Paul says, you always have this hope. And it's all possible. Why? Because you and I are in 
Christ. You see, this standing that I have, please don't misunderstand. If you're not here today and you don't have this position yet, and you're saying, are you saying that Christians are better than anybody else? No, it's, not, it's because it's not about us. Jesus is better than anybody else. That's what we're saying. And the standing that we have is in Christ. It's because of him. It's not about me. And Christ doesn't look at, or God doesn't look at our position where we're standing in Christ and just see us alone. He sees Jesus when he looks at us. That means if I'm in Christ, God's where God's put me. That also means if you're one of these kind of people, deeper thinkers, you know what I mean? Think about this. That means I am protected and preserved forever because I am in Christ. I'm his forever. I am secure because he is the eternal son of God. I'm not perfect, but Jesus is. And it's his perfection that gave me eternal life. It's his perfection that keeps me as God's child forever. And that tells you and I who are believers, you are safe and you are secure, not because of you, but because of where you stand. And where you stand is in Christ. What a great concept. What a great truth that God shared with us. Number three, jot this down. I can rejoice in times of trouble. Another benefit, Paul says, is found in verses three, four, and five. Follow along with me. Here's another thing he says. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to endure, and endurance develops strength of character in us, and character strengthens our confident expectation of salvation, and this expectation will not disappoint us. I can rejoice in times of trial. Here's a way I really think that the Christian life, and you and I who are Christians as we're out in the world and living life you know, day to day, here's a way that the Christian life speaks so loudly to the world that's watching us. Because the world will look at you and I, and when they see trials and they see problems and they see difficulties come in our lives, and they will, let me just do a quick poll. How many of you sometime since last Sunday when we saw each other last here, how many of you had some trials and some problems and some difficulties come up in your life? Would you raise your hand? Just hold your hand up for a second. You had some kind of problem, some kind of trial. Now, if you're not raising your hand, can I switch lives with you? Please, can, can we just kind of swap lives for a while? Because I have problems, and I have trials, and I have difficulties. Man, it seems like every single day something happens that I wasn't expecting. Something happens that life throws me a curveball. Something happens that, that rattles my cage, that shakes the ground underneath of me. And God says to us, when those kinds of things happen and the world is watching and they see the peace of God that's in your life, they see that it doesn't destroy you when maybe things around you go south. It speaks loudly to them about this God who lives inside of you. At least it should. Why shouldn't Christians fall apart when bad things happen. Well, let me give you some reasons why, what the scripture tells us here. First of all, troubles don't cancel joy. Troubles don't take your joy away. Please hear me. If every time, and there are some of you like this here, I'm just going to confess your sin this morning. There are some of you 
who are like this here. Every time you go through a trial in life, every time some kind of troublesome thing happens in your life, you lose your joy. You go depressed, you get angry, you get a bad attitude, you're grumpy, you're negative, nobody wants to be around you. You just become sour every time something bad happens in your life. Let me say to you that if that's you today, here's the deal. Your joy, what you call joy, what you think is joy, is not real joy because it's based on your circumstances and not in Christ. The opposite of joy is not suffering. The Apostle Paul wrote this this letter to the Philippian church. And and all through, the, the theme of the letter to the Philippians was joy. You know, you need to have joy in everything that happens in your life. I'm telling you over again, he says, have joy. And he says this over and over and over in this letter. And where did he, where was he when he was writing this letter? Somebody tell me, he was in prison. There's a happy place. He was in prison. And yet he, so the opposite of joy is not suffering. The opposite of joy is sin. Just because you may go through suffering by the way, and please don't misinterpret this because there, you know, again, you, 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 know, you can watch the guys on TV and there's some of these guys will tell you, well, if you're going through suffering in your life, there must be some bad sin in your life. Really? Jesus suffered a whole bunch, didn't he? Yeah. How much sin was in his life? Hello. Just because you're going through some suffering doesn't necessarily mean you've done something wrong, you've done something stupid. Now, sometimes we suffer because we make bad choices, obviously, because we do wrong things, but not necessarily. So what's the purpose of trials? Why does God allow trials and troubles to come into our life? Paul says it very plainly here. They're good for us. Oh, that's good news to hear. They're good for us? Hey, no one enjoys pain, but that's not what it's saying. But when painful times come, we have this assurance during those times if our peace is in God, if we know where we're standing in Christ, we have this assurance that not only is God in control, and not only beyond the present discomfort of the trial, we we understand that maybe it hurts right now and it's painful right now, but there is a result coming that I can't see right now that's for my good. And oftentimes when the bad things happen in life, we, we can't see what the good outcome of this is possibly going to be. But down the road, after we've passed through that valley and we've gone back up and we're on the mountaintop, we have a greater view of what's happened in life when we realize, God, I would have exchanged that trial, that struggle, that disappointment, that tough time in my life for anything. It was for my good. Okay, what's the good that it's for? He goes on, he says, well, here's the good. He said, our trials produce endurance. The endurance is that ability to not give up. Just use this, if this helps you understand it, the phrase, and you've heard this, no pain, no gain. The trial builds endurance in my life. You'll never learn how to keep on. And and again, some some of us, we want to quit all the time. Every time something goes bad, every time somebody looks at us cross-eyed, you know, we want to quit. You'll never learn how to keep on and not be a quitter if you never go through problems. 
we have this idea in the United States, and if you're from another country, uh, welcome this morning. Let me tell you about American Christians. We have this idea that Christianity means life is problem-free. And as a result of that, when we discover it's not and we do have problems, as Americans, we tend to run away as Christians from problems in our lives, whether they be at home or work or church. Why do you think, why do you think so many American Christians, church members, dance the church hop so well? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a part of this church, but somebody got me upset, so I left and I joined this church, and I didn't like what they did there, so I quit and I went to this church, and they just hop from church to church to church to church, and they never stay anywhere to learn some endurance. And when we quit, we miss out on something God wanted to build in us, and that's too bad. And, and I say that as someone who I've quit a few times in my life when now that I look back on it, I think, you should have endured. You should have hung in there. Because here's what, what happens when I quit. God still wants to build something, character in my life. He still wants to deal with something that's in my life. And when I quit, he says, okay, now we get to start all over again. I'm not going to give up on you, Rick, until you get this. And so it just stretches it out. I don't get to learn the lesson quickly. I make it last a long time. That's what happens. Trials produce endurance, and what does endurance do? It builds strength of character, Paul says. God says, the Boy Scouts used to have a, a bumper sticker a few years ago they came out with that said, character counts. God says, yeah, that's right. Character counts. That means it develops the courage to stand when life wants to push you down. It develops the, the, the strength within you to swim against the current when it counts. And again, so many of us are mistaken about how God works. We want God to make life comfortable for us. God, I'm going to have you in my life, and now my life will be so nice, so comfortable, so peaceful. But God isn't concerned about our comfort. How do you know that? Well, think about what Jesus said. He, he, one time he said, you know what? The birds have nests. The foxes have their dens. I don't have a comfortable place to lay down and take a nap. That's what Jesus said. And this was the Son of God, God's only uniquely born Son. He said, there's nothing, nothing comfortable about my life. God isn't concerned about comfort in our lives. He's concerned about building character in our lives. If you have no character, what happens is you'll collapse. The pull of the world will bring you down and bring you down and bring you down until finally you have the strength to stand. Endurance builds strength of character. And then he says here, character increases our confident expectation of salvation. Our confident expectation of of salvation. What, do that, what does that mean? That means that trials that you and I go through result in endurance, and endurance builds character, and that character increases our faith and our hope in God. It makes our faith and hope stronger, not weaker. Have you ever noticed this? I bet you have. The Christians that I know who are the, I mean, they are the strongest. They're the ones I look up to and say, God, I wish I had faith like him, like her. 
the Christians that I look up to and, and realize they have something, Lord, that I, I want to be like that in my life, they are the very people who have also been through the hardest times in life. They're the ones who have been through the greatest difficulties, and yet they're the ones who have the strongest faith. The weakest believers, however, either they are too young, like the nine last Sunday who, I mean, they're infant Christians. Yes, they're weak. They're babies. But there are some of us who have been believers in Jesus for years, and we've never developed this character. We don't have this confidence in God and in salvation because every time a problem comes in life, we either quit or we blame God, one or the other. So let me ask you a question. Which, by the way, which are you? Where do you fit in there? And so the last benefit that Paul shares with us and that I want to share this morning in this passage is God's guarantee. It's great that when we get benefits at job, you know, get our work benefits and different things, that we have this guarantee that you won't be disappointed. Verse 5 again, this expectation will not disappoint us, for we know, we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You ever gotten a had a medical bill that you submitted to your insurance carrier and found out, you know, you get this letter a week or 10 days later, and they say, nope, we're not paying. Anybody ever have that experience? Man, you get angry and you get upset, and you call them up and you say, what do you mean you won't pay? And they say, well, Mr. Lawrenson, have you read your policy? We don't cover this. Bummer. Man, what am I paying $1,000 a month for, you know, here, if you're not going to cover that? Sometimes it's because I haven't read the policy, but sometimes I'm disappointed because, frankly, sometimes the insurance companies don't want to do what they said they would do. And you got to say, oh, wait a second here. Do you think, how much confidence do you think the people who live along the Gulf Coast right now have in BP that they're going to make things right? But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your hope rests on a God who never disappoints. Your hope rests on a God who keeps his word. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. You can be confident in him and in his promises. Why? When verse 5, it says very literally, the Greek says it this way. If we took the Greek and got more of a literal translation, verse 5 says, God has poured out his love within your hearts. Poured it out. It's not like God kind of sprinkling fairy dust on you and says, I love you. I picture poured out as God takes a 50-gallon barrel drum and says, here it comes, Rick. And the moment I trusted Jesus as Savior, he dumped this 50-gallon drum of love in me. Poured it out in me. Not just a little sprinkle. The moment you trusted, he says here, the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior, he poured it out to you. And how did, how did that, what did that look like? He says, God came to live in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. He poured his Holy Spirit into you. Instantly, he entered your life, the Holy Spirit. Instantly, he came in there permanently to live there forever, to see that all these benefits are always available. This peace, believer, 
that you have with God, this standing that you have, that you're no longer his enemy, that you have this new standing with him as a child forever, this ability to rejoice when troubles come, this confidence that God's never going to disappoint. These are all expressions of his love. Well, how do I know he loves me? Paul finishes up here, verses 6 and 7. He says, you know, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And he says, think about it. There is no one likely to die for a good person. Though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But then he goes on to read to say what we've already read. That's not who we were. He came to die for enemies. He came to die for sinners. He came to die for those who did not love him. We're helpless sinners. We didn't deserve it, but Christ died for us, and that's how we know he loves us. So please never forget that. And I say never forget it. Why? Because the enemy of your soul, Christian, the devil, Satan, he would try to steal your joy. He's going to try to do it today. Something's going to happen. He's going to try to steal your peace and your confidence. He's going to try to remove your prayer life and destroy your character. Because he knows, maybe better than we, because he witnessed it, he knows how much God loves us. And he wants us to live as though these benefits don't exist. So this morning, you may be teetering in your faith, and you've been deceived, perhaps, to think that maybe because you're going through a trial, God must not care anymore about me. Or maybe you've been deceived to think that because you don't always feel like a Christian, maybe you aren't. Or you wrongly think that maybe God has stopped loving you and that you've lost your place in his family. Today you need to stop listening to the deceiver and you need to to listen to God. And he guarantees that all that you were given as he poured his love into you, the peace and the standing, the confidence, all that you were given, the ability to go through trials, is still there. It's in you, in the person of Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you you, you, you didn't just kind of give us this life and then leave us alone, but you said, I want to help you now get through this life until the day you get to come to heaven. I want to help you survive right here on earth and go through all the things that you're going to go through, and I'm going to go through them with you, and they're going to make you strong, and it's going to be for your good. And, and don't ever quit and don't ever give up, but have confidence in me. Thank you that you're that kind of God. Forgive us, Lord, when we, we quit. Forgive us when we, we lose our joy because it's been in our circumstances and not in you. Forgive us, Father, when we forget and doubt. Thank you for this package that we can always count on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.